If you're over 40 and want to be the best version of yourself, Fit Over 40 with Coach Clarence is here to help. Clarence Ferguson is a seasoned loan officer, fitness expert, personal chef, and entrepreneur who leads a revolution of men and women who want to live their best life going into middle age. Inspiring dialogue, challenging topics, and industry leaders are here offering tips and how-tos to improve your life. Now, here's Coach Clarence. All right, everybody, we are back. What is this? Episode 92? 92. 92. And um, it is good. We are in summer. Summer is starting in the valley. And everybody is happy that it's summer. And we're all happy that things are going well. And I'm in studio with Gloria Felt. Hey, hi there, Coach. Okay. Um, she's got quite the resume, you know, I thought I had a resume until I saw her. So I'm just going to do a portion of this and then I'll let her just kind of introduce herself. She is the co-founder and president of Take the Lead. That is a breakthrough women's leadership and DEI training, coaching and power up conference. She's also the author of Intentioning Sex, Power, Pandemics and How Women Will Take the Lead for Everyone's Good, which I have lots of questions about that. I'm excited about that. Gloria, how you doing? Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. I am delighted to be here with you. I'm doing great today. I yeah. hope you are, too. Well, I'm doing well. Um, you know, I'm alive and well and things are good. So. Why don't you, I always like to get a little bit of background. I mean, this is the resume. How did you get to where you are? Go back a little bit and tell everybody your story. Well, I'm going to work backwards from where I am now. Sure. It's a long story. How much time I know, do we have? I know her, so yeah, I, I'm used to it. <laughs> okay. Take your time. We can get you some coffee if you need a... <laughs> Okay. All right. Yes. Well, I am, uh, as you said, I am the co-founder and president of a nonprofit organization called Take the Lead, and our mission is nothing less than intersectional gender parity by 2025 in every single sector. How I got here is that after a 30-year career with Planned Parenthood, which was preceded by Teaching Head Start, uh, preceded by involvements in the women's movement, the civil rights movement. You know, I'm kind of a movement building at movement builder at heart. After I had come out of what was not such a great place as a teen mom, <clears throat> excuse me, after I'd come out of what was not such a great place as a teen mom and had to come out of this place where I felt personally powerless uh, to, to determine my fate. And I had my third child by the time I was 20, okay. at which point I sort of woke up. I don't know exactly why. I, my son, my third child, calls himself mom's light bulb because I often <laughs> say a light bulb went off at that moment. And I started to the community college. I was living in Odessa, Texas at the time. I grew up in small Texas towns where women weren't given aspirations for education and career and, and so on. So I, I had totally drunk the cultural Kool-Aid. And I thought that was the life I really wanted. And I found out pretty quickly that if you can't, if you can't earn your own money and if you can't actually uh, make decisions for yourself, you really don't have a life. And so sure. at that point, I realized that it was important for 
everyone, women and men and everyone, to have equal opportunities. And that was really what started driving me and mm-hmm. drove the rest of my drove the rest of my career. It was totally serendipitous that I had that 30-year career with Planned Parenthood, but I often say that the birth control pill saved my life when I was that young mother of three. And so I, I, I was very committed to enabling other women to have that kind of authority over their lives. But I had planned on being a high school social studies teacher. Mm. And I, that was, you know, so I, I, I started college after that third child was born. I was planning on being a social studies teacher. I taught Head Start for five years while I was going through that whole process. And the last course I took... I decided to do a paper on this new little fledgling organization in Odessa, Texas, called Planned Parenthood. Oh, boy. And uh, (laughs) I interviewed the executive director and a few other people, a board member, a nurse practitioner. And two weeks later, the executive director called me and said, you know, I'm leaving. I think you should submit a resume. And I thought, I am in no danger of being hired. I am in no danger. I know nothing about healthcare administration, I I have never run an organization, I, but it'll be good experience because I have to start I have to start looking for a teaching job now, so I should put together a resume and actually you know get a little practice, and as they say, the rest is history. Uh, so I I ran that Planned Parenthood in West Texas for four years, at which point I was very committed to the the mission of the organization. And but I, I wanted to be in a bigger city. I wanted to be in a, in a bigger community. I, you know, I, I wanted a little more opportunity for myself. Sure. So I uh, applied for and was hired in Arizona as the CEO of the Arizona affiliate, which I did for 18 years. And that was the best job, the most fun job I ever had. It was truly the best. I got to grow this affiliate from three to 16 clinics. I got to, you know, this is such a growing community with so much opportunity. And, you know, it's an easy place to, to meet people and, and do what you need to do. Anyway, it was, it was super fun. And just as I was ready to retire, I was recruited to take the national presidency at a time when the organization was, quite frankly, in rather deep trouble, if emotionally, financially, all kinds of ways. I declined to apply the first time. And the second time, I will say that my husband, who I met here in Arizona, Mm -hmm. said to me, and this made it was really hard for him because he ended up selling his business and retiring much earlier than he would have. So I could do this. But he said to me, you know, this is your job. This is really what you have prepared your life for. You need to do this. You're the right person for right now. Okay. So I, you know, those are the kinds of things that if it, what I always tell young people is just say yes, just say yes, because you never know what life will bring. Yeah. Anyway, after 30 years, I was tired. I was done. I was like ready to, you know, like, OK, if I'm ever going to write, because I had been wanting to be a writer since I was five years old mm-hmm. and life intervened. And so I thought, you know, if I'm ever going to do that, I really have to take time. You can't write books very well when you've got a, you know, 80 hour a week job. Right. So I did, I started writing books and the, the, uh, the, one of the books that I wrote, which is called no excuses, nine ways women can change how we think about power has that title because what I found was to my surprise, 
Even after we had opened doors, we had changed laws, we had seen a woman first almost everything, women were holding still less than 20% of the top leadership positions in any sector. So that was like, I wrote this book. It was just going to be another book. I was going to put it on the shelf. That was that. And people started asking me to do workshops using what I had written in the book. Other people recognized it was a leadership book and that it had in it nine leadership power tools. So I created a curriculum. I saw women have incredible breakthroughs. And pretty soon, here I was being a movement builder again, unretiring, mm-hmm. <laughs> failing retirement, as they say, and co-founded Take the Lead. And that was in uh, 2013, we founded ourselves, and in 2014, we had our official launch, and it's been uphill and downhill ever since. All right, so let's go back a little bit. You, you, you uh, made some statements um, you talked about being head of Planned Parenthood, Head Start. Um, you were a, a fighter in civil rights, which obviously some of my conservative listeners are going to raise an eyebrow. Good. And I like facts. We don't do fake things on this show. We have fun. But what is the real mission of Planned Parenthood? Because obviously there's the media version of it. There's a the political version of it. You being one of the leaders, what is the mission of Planned Parenthood? For me personally, that mission has always been to enable women to have an equal place in this world. And you can't have an equal place in this world if you cannot have authority and own and control your own body and be able to decide for yourself uh, when you're going to have children, with whom you're going to have children, uh, and how you want to, to build your own life. I have had the great pleasure of seeing generations now of women be able to do that. Okay. And, uh, and so that really is what it's about for me. It's about women having an equal place in life in every way they want to. So historically, let's just for people who just don't know, because information, is, we think information is relevant and it's available. Talk about how women haven't had that ownership of their bodies. You know, it's hard to, it's hard to actually describe. I, 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 I have sometimes spoken with young women who think that access to birth control is like the air and the water. It's just there. Yeah. But in truth, it's a fairly recent phenomenon that there has been a reliable way to uh, plan and space your childbearing. If you go back to the turn of the 20th century, maternal mortality was incredibly high. I mean, it was not unusual. The reason the life expectancy on average at the turn of the 20th century was about 40-something years old, is not that men didn't live to be 70 and 80. It is that women died in childbirth at at 30 and 40. Yeah. And children died. There was much higher child mortality and infant mortality as well because if you have a baby every year, you, you deplete your body, and the children eventually that you bear become less healthy as well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, people don't know that. And I'm yeah. glad they don't know that. But it is a piece of history that, that, that people should understand, that there mm-hmm. is a reason why it's so important for couples, for women, for, for men and women together, uh, for whoever they are, for whatever kind of couples they are, yeah. to be able to determine when and how they want to have a family. I understand. I like it. All right. So 
I'm gonna get off that because I know that's a <laughs> there's plenty of shows talking about that right now. Yeah. All right, talk about taking the lead. Um, um, I've always worked with women. Uh, women do a phenomenal job, in my opinion. What? Not you. Like you're you're that one percent. Ninety nine percent of the women I know do a good job, <laughs> except for Laura. She's that one percenter. <laughs> She's no, at 1% I'm at the top. She, yeah, I she's 1%, she's 1% of, the of the top. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, talk about taking the lead. Why was that important to you? It was important to me because uh, realizing that, that after women had been... Uh, so look, when I started it, women were already earning 57% of the college degrees and had been for decades. I think Yet, that's higher now. It, I think it may be. It may well be. The business case was very, very clear that mm. companies with more women in their leadership are more profitable. Mm. It's not that women are inherently better. It's not, you know, these, are, these things are not hardwired, but culturally, we've been, we've been acculturated to listen a little better, uh, to be a little more risk averse. <laughs> Uh, to be able to, you know, if if you haven't been the, the 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 group in power, you have to learn to read the room better, right? Is that <laughs> yeah, not right? No doubt. Yeah, no doubt. Because yeah. we haven't been I'm in sure, power forever. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I read sure rooms you, all day long. I'm sure you've had exactly the same experience. You have. It, it's a survival mechanism. Yeah, that's true. You have to be able to. to you know, so you're more empathetic. <clears throat> you you get what's going on with people, and sure. that's really why companies with more women in their leadership are more profitable. Mm-hmm. Uh, w- women ha- hold the power of the purse if they choose to use it because family purchasing decisions are made typically by women, 80 to 85 percent. True. That's a global figure. That's this not just true. the U.S. Right. So I was like, okay, what's wrong? It's because women had a very ambivalent relationship with power. And w- after all, we had borne the brunt of really negative aspects of power for a very long time. The historical narrative of power is what? It's about wars and fighting. And who bears the brunt of that? You know, the women, the children that, you know, this is this is this has been very bad for women. This, the whole culture has been very bad. It's also the narrative has been that power is a finite pie. And if I take a piece of pie, you have less. Right. Well, that is, is global on so many things. Isn't if it? this group advances, it takes something from me. So we got to fight it. And actually, the opposite is true. Right. The opposite is true. Because all of the things that really matter in the economy of today that is based on brains and not brawn is they, these things are like innovation, intelligence, creativity, love, empathy. <laughs> uh, these are the things that that matter now and there is no limit to those things and so i found that when i would suggest to women stop thinking about power as being the power over you because i understand why you don't like that think about it as being the power to the power to make life better for yourself your family your community the world think about it as being your opportunity to create and innovate and, 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 you know, find a way to, to, to make more money for, for what you need. And, and don't think of it as being this little finite pie. You have to take a crumb. I would like, I would see these, I would see faces relax. And kind of <laughs> like you just did. You were like, huh. And, 
And, and the, I mean, well, I would say, I, I mean, have so many thoughts women's, may not be on the same page as you, but okay. fa- I mean, you know, their faces would just relax yeah. and they would say, yeah, well, I want that. Yes. Of course I want that. Right. And that's where we start. And then we go from there to give women very specific, actionable, concrete skills and tools and thinking processes okay. to use in order to identify what their true intention is in their lives and go for it okay. and be able to achieve it. So uh, uh, statistics show and data shows that that is true. Why don't you think we ha- don't have more women in leadership roles? So nobody gives up power voluntarily, <laughs> number one. Uh, there is. <laughs> you hear that? You'll never run the show. Me. Not voluntarily, so you can poison me or something. Maybe you'll get the lead. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, but we have a dynamic. She really runs the show. I just pretend that I do. It helps me get through it. <laughs> so, I, listen, I need, I need somebody like Laura to keep me in shape. So I, I get it. So, so there's that. And it's not that there's a... An evil plot, necessarily. It's I just disagree. That, I think, think there is an evil plot. plot. Do you think yes. there's an evil plot? So Some people don't want to give up power. They don't. They don't. And and that's one thing. And the, you know, when you, I mean, let's say, look, people who are privileged don't realize they're privileged. None of us, we all have some privilege and we all have some not privilege. Sure. And, and none of us wants to give up, give up whatever privilege it is that we have. So we have to find ways to let everybody see themselves in the story. And some of the smartest, I I call them the tall white men, some of the smartest (laughs) tall white men who have been the the archetype of people who have been in power. I mean, look, who who sits in the first class section of every plane, right? It's full of tall white men. (laughs) Well, you haven't been on planes I've been on. There's that little medium height guy holding the seat up. (laughs) Anyway, so, so the really smart ones are now pushing to bring more women into their leadership. It doesn't mean they're giving up their CEO position yet. Not yet. But eventually they'll age out. And so <laughs> and the women, the women they have been bringing along will be prepared and ready to take those seats. And we're already seeing some of that. Sure. So Gloria, I'm going to ask you a very controversial question. Why are women complicit in their not moving forward? They're voting for these people. They are accepting roles knowing they're taking less pay. Why don't they? They're the highest voting. They're the most educated right now. Why aren't they doing something different? Oh, gosh, Clarence, that is the best question ever. I do ever. ask a and couple good questions me. here. And no, and there, it really you know. plagues me. And there's actually a chapter in the book um, that, that is, about, is about complicity. And it is about it is getting. Huge. And it is about get, being co opted. Because for there, I'm going to give you several different reasons why that happens. Okay. The first reason is not even realizing the injustice. Not even realizing it. Let me just speak for myself and say that when I took my job here in Arizona, what I didn't know was that the man they had first offered the job to had been offered a lot more money than they offered me. <laughs> he didn't take it. He didn't take. He wouldn't take the job, even at that. <laughs> and they didn't offer you his salary. They, they did not. Like, I didn't, well, we don't I need didn't, that extra money. I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't know that for years. I literally didn't know that for years. And it's like I was just so glad to get a job that I wanted, and I was happy. You know that I could do something that I really felt strongly about, and it didn't even occur to me. I didn't even know that that injustice existed. I think m- more women now know because sure. we've been talking about pay disparities now, mm-hmm. and so the young women coming up now. 
many of them are now making more than their male colleagues. You're yeah. going to see a whole generation of women who are not taking less than men. So that's the second reason. It is that it takes a generation or two for some of these things to sink in. The third reason is the hardest one for me to accept. And it is that sometimes being complicit is the safe place. Mm-hmm. Define Some, that. Sometimes for, uh, for women, the safe place is being under the thumb of Big Daddy. You know, because that's See, where they're... I that's where they're comfortable under that, yeah. <laughs> See how comfortable yeah. she uh-huh. looks under that yeah, thumb? Right, See, yeah, right, She's well-trained. That's right. <laughs> they're, they're complicit because they have been brought up in a particular culture. Sure. It's comfortable to them. It's scary to break out of it. You lose something when you break out of it. You may lose, you may lose relationships. Yes. You may lose family. Yes. You may lose, you know, I mean, it, it's so I'm not sympathizing with them, but I am saying that there are emotional and psychological reasons for some women to, to want to stay in their little pile. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, 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 and I think, you know, one of the challenges is, to again bring those women into the story and what happens when they finally see uh, an injustice what happens when something is finally personal to them say husband leaves them suddenly they're there without skills, husband dies without a our husband dies and suddenly they don't have resources suddenly, sure. all of a sudden things change mm. all right so you wrote a book um i actually love the title Intentioning, sex, power, pandemics, and how women will take the lead for everyone's good. You got to break that down. I mean, there's so much, <laughs> so many gems in that. Just the title. I want to read it. Well, good. I hope you do. Uh, and mean, buy a whole lot of copies. Yeah, yeah, a whole lot of sure, people. Right. <laughs> I wish women would take the lead sometime. And that ham sandwich isn't going to make itself. No, geez, that's totally bad. <laughs> I don't even like ham. <laughs> So tell me about the book and what inspired you to write the book. I had started writing Intentioning before the pandemic. My, my idea for the book, which is still all within the book, is that I would interview a number of women who, were, who had, had done amazing things in their lives and had overcome challenges, had, had built businesses, whatever it was they might have done. That would fit this idea that I had of using the word intentioning, which I made up, by the way. What does that mean? It, to you? it means it, it, I, I love I love the idea of intention, mm-hmm. the concept of intention. But intention is a noun, and nouns don't move. And I wanted yeah. to have an active verb, so I turned it into a verb. It's as sure. simple as that. I want because okay. everything I do, I want it to have an action with it. I, it's not just I don't like to just talk about the problem. And I don't even like to just talk about this is what you should do. I want you to have an intentioning plan to actually do it uh, because that's, that's how we will achieve the kind of equality that, I, that, that I've been working for all my life. So, so that was already in the works. And then, of course, came the pandemic. And, and actually, I have to tell you this story because Take the Lead had its first Power Up conference on Leap Day. February 29th, 2020. Mm. I mean, literally the next day, everything shut down. Ooh. It was like the next day. It was like all of our grand plans for scaling up in 2020 just went immediately. <laughs> it was like, whoops, <laughs> this is, we got to, we got to change our plans here. 
So first came the coronavirus pandemic. And then by mid-year was the murder of George Floyd. Yes. Which finally elevated racial injustice, which has been part of this country forever, but finally elevated it into national attention. And it started getting the attention that it should get. And so the combination of those two caused me to realize I can't write the book I had planned to write without a context. So I start with the context of the pandemics, plural. And uh, in the first place, and I'm going to separate them just a little bit, which is because the, the coronavirus pandemic, in my view, has now given us the best opportunity we'll ever have to move further, faster, for gender parity, because when explain things, gender parity, you've made so, reference a couple uh, times. Gender parity, what okay. does that mean? That means equal pay, equal power, equal positions. Okay, okay, and not that everything is always going to be perfectly symmetrical. That's never going to happen. But in the aggregate, in the aggregate, and that there are no barriers, either internal or external, standing in anyone's way to achieve their highest and best life, mm-hmm. whatever they want. So. So um, I, as it turns out, as difficult as the, as the COVID pandemic has been, and it has set women back, some say by decades, because they're the ones who ended up homeschooling kids. They're the ones who ended up, you know, taking, you know, t- changing their lives changed a lot yeah. more than men's. But I have always found that chaos and disruption are the absolute best times to make big systemic changes. And so now everybody who's running a business knows they have to change many of their practices in order to get women to come back to work. (laughs) And and so there's more flex time, there's more childcare, there's more, you know, all these things that women have been saying we need for a long time, they're going to have to do. So I I think we can move further faster. And, and, and of course I am basically an optimistic person, but I really do believe that. that. Uh, The, the, I also, felt very strongly that I wanted to put the context of the importance of how racial and gender justice are intertwined and how they can't, neither will succeed if both don't go forward together. Because racism, sexism, homophobia, anti-Semitism, you name it, they're joined at the head. They're all always about, again, power and privilege and not wanting to give it up to somebody else. And, right. And so, and not realizing that there isn't this finite pie. So that's one of, one of the leadership tools in the book is believe in the infinite pie, mm-hmm. believe in the infinite pie. And so, so I, 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 uh, one of the things that we did at, at take the lead is to develop a, a whole program called culture of inclusion in which we do many of the same things. We educate people about the nature of power and how to think about it in a way that is expansive rather than constricting. So, so it's, it's, it's a lot of the same material, understanding implicit bias, knowing how to deal with it, uh, overcome it if it's a barrier to you, things like that. But I, I just felt strongly that <clears throat> talking about women's advancement without making that connection, and we even, at the organization, even we even tweaked our mission statement just a little bit to include the words diversity and uh, intersectionality. Okay. So that we're clear. That's what we're about. 
It's, it's all women that we want to succeed. All right. So Frederick Douglass famously said that power concedes nothing without demand. Um, with that said, which we know is true, um, why is it important for women to step up and get into these leadership roles? Well, there's the, the justice reason, <clears throat> because it's only fair and just for women to take their equal share, to take their equal share of the burden, to take their, you know, to. So what, what, yeah. with that said, like people in power don't believe in fairness. They believe in power, our absolute power. They don't care about if it's fair or not. We just got to stay in power. Well, that's why, that's why, that's why it's important for women to understand power, to be able to know, really be able to assess exactly what's going on in the room. What does power mean to you? To me, power means the, uh, so I'm going to give you that definition on two levels. There's the individual and there's the systemic power. So for, on the individual level, it means having, being able to be clear about what your own gifts are, what your own capabilities are, what your own values are, and then to be able to create a life where you can use those to the fullest without being pushed back, without not have, without being disrespected, without being uh, seen as being less than because Mm -hmm. of whatever characteristics it is that you bring to the workplace. The, on the systemic level, you have to always be working it on at both levels, by the way. It's just sure. somebody just asked me that question the other day. It's like, yeah, it's it's true that we have to be working on the systemic level. But who has a stake in changing the system? Those of us who haven't been in power, right? Yes. <laughs> so we have to know the rules. We have to you have to know the rules of the game in order to play it and change it. Very true. Facts. And uh, it's easy to change the game if you, A, know the rules, and also if you know the process by which change can take place. And that, I mean, this is the thing I learned from the civil rights movement that has guided my whole life, which is that people working together, even if they have no formal power, can change things. And, and that is, so often people feel like, oh, I don't have the power, I don't have the money, I don't have this, I don't have that. You do if you find the other people who share your concerns. And that's what Frederick Douglass did. That is what Frederick Douglass did so brilliantly. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was, he was so brilliant at, at finding the people who he could join with and move the cause forward. Awesome. Good good answers. I like this. This is good. (laughs) You're very well read and you're very knowledgeable (laughs) about your subjects. Why do you think this is the best opportunity for a gender parity? Simply because disruption creates opportunity to change. Because if everything is disrupted, it's like organizations are like amoebas. Their, their, their whole purpose is to survive. And they don't survive if they don't change. If they don't change to meet the, the day, Current demand. they are going to die. And so, but you have to make that change. Things don't just happen on their own. You have to make them happen. People have to make them happen. So you have to join together with the people who share your views. You have to have the courage to talk about them publicly or within whatever group it is that you know, can make the change. And then you got to get your, got to mobilize your, where your strengths are. Yeah. If you don't have money, you, maybe you have millions of people. Right. If you don't have millions of people, maybe you have facts. You know, I mean, get what you have, put it together and get it 
in front of the people who have power and let them know. You know, I did a lot of work in politics in my career. <laughs> One of the things I learned is that you get, you know, you, you have to, once you have finally persuaded an elected official that it's the right thing to do, you have to make them a hero for doing the right thing. So you have to kind of put your ego aside and, and, and you know, let people take their share of the, of the uh, applause for whatever they're doing. Well, I mean, politics is heavily driven by money. And How power. do you overcome that? And, and creating division so people don't get together. They're the women. They're the, for lack of a better way of saying, the gay or not heterosexual community. They're the black community. They're the Mexican community. And then they give you something to hate about each community, and then you can't get together because you're stuck on that thing that you believe you're supposed to hate, and that's how they stay in power because you're too busy arguing to come together. So how do you deal with that? Because there are men who will say women shouldn't be doing this or women can't do this, and there are women in power who parrot those lines. Mm Mm-hmm. So they can stay in power, by the way. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly right, yes. I, I, you know, there's no easy answer to it. I, I'm not going to say that there's, there's an easy answer to that. But, um, you know, I, so I, I, in my early childhood, in small, the smallest of the Texas towns, my family was often the only Jewish family in town. And it took me until I was an adult to realize two things about that. Number one, it wasn't that there was something wrong with me. It was it was that there was something wrong with other people who mm-hmm. thought there was something wrong with me. I had to become grown up to figure that out. The other thing I learned was that, or the other thing that that I realized was that it was a gift to have had that experience because it it toughened my hide a little bit, and it uh, it also it also gave me a, a kind of empathy that people who don't have any issues that you know where somebody says you need to hate that group, they don't have that. They don't have that. And uh, so, so you have to use what you've got. I'm, t- I'm telling you all my power tools now. I'm giving away all my secrets. All oh, of them. no, there's a whole, That's a, like, you've got so many know, things use, on here. We, gotta we could use, be here for hours. You know, you've got to use what you've got. And this, this right now is a moment when every organization is scurrying to have more people of color, to have more women. Take it. Take that opportunity. Make it work for you. The heck with what their motivation is. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this show is called Fit Over 40, and we talk about exercise and health. How does that play a role in uh, what you're doing? And how do you keep yourself fit in this big fight? It which is. has got to be mentally <laughs> stressful. And, I mean, I'm sure you being part of Planned Parenthood, you were probably just taking the blunt of a lot of abuse. It, it, it's Getting fit was... At midlife, actually, mm-hmm. I didn't start getting fit until I was over forty. Oh, to be like honest that. with you, Same. I mean that's, a, that's my soundbite right I there. Did, I did I like not. That. Yeah, I did. Save not, that part you. and use I, it again. You can. I, I did <laughs> not. I did not play sports. I grew up before there was Title IX, and girls didn't get to play sports in school. Really, wow, that's amazing. How uh, far you had to. Came. Oh, there was these horrible PE classes where you had to change into these really ugly gym blue suits. shorts. Yeah, I still wear yeah. those. Is that Do not you, cool anymore? Awful. Oh, okay, good. I'm glad you told <laughs> me because I'm gonna stop wearing those little blue shorts. 
<laughs> in the big my, socks. I just made my husband buy some new, sh- new, new shorts too. So I, you know, you guys got to get up, stand up, stand up. But I, I mean, it was awful. It was just, and I, so I just never, I just never was involved in sports. I wasn't involved in physical activity. But as I approached in my late thirties and finally at forty. I hired a trainer to give me a weightlifting program okay. sure. because I realized I was, you know, I was traveling a lot and it was not even easy then to like heft those suitcases, you know, into the, <laughs> into the bed. And I'm like, you know, I got to do something. And I found what it did for me was it wasn't just the physical strength. It was the mental strength right. that it gave right. me. And I, I was astonished. And as I as subsequent to that, I started doing what I could do. I'm never going to be a jock, let me just say. But <laughs> but I can walk. I can walk. I did try jogging, and I my knees didn't like that. Uh, my knees pretty quickly said, "No, I don't do that." But I can walk. I walk every day, uh, uh, or do the exercise bike, one or the other. I kind of vary between those two. And I will lift weights almost every day, do something Good. like that. And then I have a couple of programs during the pandemic that saved my life that, I, that are online, that are exercise that I can do at home by myself. I will give up almost anything in the day to have an hour to exercise before I do anything else. I love this. Because otherwise, so awesome. otherwise, I don't have the energy to do the rest of what I need to do during that day. I run eighty I'm miles big. just when I know I have to be in the podcast with Laura. <laughs> you know, I, that's why I'm sweating a little bit. And right what's now. your time? What's your time on those eighty <laughs> in miles? Two minutes. That's how crazy it is. Eighty yeah. miles in two right. minutes. It is just. <laughs> I got to get mentally prepared. <laughs> um, I love that. Um, well, let's talk about the elephant in the world. As you know, there was a certain decision leaked. What are your thoughts on that? We knew this was coming. We didn't know when, but mm-hmm. what are your thoughts? And how do you think it's going to affect everything? The book that I wrote in 2004 called The War on Choice, The Right-Wing Attacks on Women's Rights and How to Fight Back, told the story, told the story. I did a lot of research on how there were these many different efforts uh, in many different ways between from media to science, you know, like attacks on science, attacks on media, attacks on, on healthcare, attacks on all these things, how they all fit together and would ultimately conspire to start rolling back women's rights in general. And what I think people don't really understand is that the uh, Roe v. Wade decision was based on the right to privacy, which is the basis for Grisold versus Connecticut, which gave people the right to birth control. Okay. Okay. So people don't realize that. And the reason it was based on the right to privacy and that both of those were based on the right to privacy is that at that time, the court had not had any gender equality cases that they could refer to for stare decisis to like, okay, well, this is what the court already decided here, that the genders are equal, so therefore women should have this right. So that's a, that's a quick and dirty legal Answer, and that is why, that is why it, the seeds of Rose's demise were planted at at birth, <laughs> if you could say that. <clears throat> and so it's been a it's been like a slowly a slow chipping away. And frankly, I I'm going to say this. This is the first time I've said this publicly. I've said this privately before, but I think it will be bit more understandable to the public 
if the court cleanly overturns Roe. Because Roe has really been useless for years, at least since the Casey decision in, I think that was 92, if I'm not mistaken, in which the court said that states could, or any entity, could pass laws limiting a woman's right to choose as long as it didn't create an undue burden. Well, so far, since then, they have found no burden undue. Right. And, and so there are these morass of state laws and, and, you know, that just make it impossible yeah. for, for, I mean, there's already not access for most women, and particularly there's no access for poor women. Yes. And that's, that's what breaks my heart. So in one sense, it's going to be a fight from the ground up again. But is it really symbolic? Because if people are going to do what they do, they could travel somewhere, they can go to different places that are more open to that. What's it really going to do? Or is it more symbolic? Like, we got, we won, we got it back. And because who really cares? Because once you have a baby, no one cares what you do after the baby's born. Good point. Good point. I mean, I think that's something that needs to be said. More often, it's like the people who don't want women to be able to prevent having children when they're not ready for them, or for whatever reason, a health then they reason, get demonized when they, can, when they can't and, take care and of them. And then they and then they don't provide supports for the children after they're born. So it's not pro-life. These people, these people are not pro-life. They're not pro-life. They're they are, pro-power. They are. They are. They are. What they are. They are pro. Yes, exactly. They're and, and pro. And there's women. a segment of the population mm-hmm. that will vote them in if right. they. It's 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 symbolic. Yeah, no, it is. Uh, Now, many things have changed in technology and in just generally the culture, people's awareness of options since Roe was decided, Mm -hmm. since Griswold and Roe. So, yes, it, it will still be possible for women to go to another state, most likely. But, you know, there could be federal legislation. The bans abortion throughout the country could be. So I think yeah. the only answer is, you know, I just, uh, I just uh, did a, a fundraiser for a young man who's running for Congress here in Arizona, and he's in my living room, and he said, "If you want to change the laws, you have to change the elected people. Of you have course. to change the people who you are elected." Got to vote, and I'm like, you I'm just quoting him everywhere. You got to. <laughs> I'm quoting him everywhere. That's true. You have to change the lawmakers. That's what he said. I, it was. It was. Poetic, the way he said. If you want to change the laws, you have to change the lawmakers. I and get it. 100%. That is, that, is really, that is really the key. And people got to wake up and understand that it does matter. It does matter. Elections do matter. Yes. They matter in your personal life. Yes. But te- techno- technologically, there are uh, women are much more aware of the fact that they can, they can get medication, abortion, and they can do, you know, do uh, uh, what do you call, um, telemedicine, and they can get care, even if it's in another state, another city. But ultimately, there will be an attempt to outlaw abortion and birth control, I'm going to tell you. That will be next. Well, I don't think uh, that'll pass. At Too the national level. people out there. Because the nat- that means no condoms. That's right. That ain't going to pass ever. <laughs> I can tell you that right now. I, I don't care right. who's in office. They're going to be like, wait a minute. <laughs> we, can't, right. we can't do that? No. Yeah. They only want to control a segment of the population. There you go. There you go. That's that's just the truth. And everybody knows it, but it's all about who's in charge and what the talking points are. So how can people find you and follow you? Because you have quite the story and find out more about you. You can find me on social media at Gloria Felt. I just used my real name because otherwise I'd forget what my handle was. So at Gloria Felt on all social media. My website is GloriaFelt.com. Take the lead 
website is TakeTheLeadWomen.com. And on social media, we're either at Take Lead Women or at Take the Lead Women. Now, is the book already out or is that on the way? The book is out. The book is out. The book is out in, in uh, hardcover. And it's also an audio book, which I recorded myself in my own voice. Look at you. That was so fun. I love doing I that. I was going to recommend you do it here, yeah. but okay. Yeah. yeah. No, I, there you I, go. I, I, loved, I loved doing that. So, yeah. And you can if you, if you go to my website, GloriaFelt.com, and go to the book, go to the intentioning page. You can listen to a free chapter. You can also download a free mini workbook that has many has exercises that go with the book, and they work whether you buy the book or not. Although I hope you will buy the book. <laughs> <laughs> and where does Gloria go from here? You've accomplished quite a. You've got the life. I mean, you've done much more than a lot of people. Where do you go from here? Well, Clarence, I want you to put August. 25th and 26th on your calendar right now. Okay. And I want you to be there podcasting. Okay. And doing whatever you do. You hear that, Brian? You you might want to speak. (laughs) I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We will be doing here in Arizona will be the in-person conference, but it will be hybrid. So it will be global. It will be a global conference. It is called the Power Up Conference. Okay. And the theme is the big re, rethink, rewire, Recreate. Okay. And uh, it, it will be the in person will be at Arizona Biltmore. Okay. Good, and good spot. The the evening it will start the evening of August twenty fifth with a concert celebrating. Don't look shocked. My 80th birthday. <laughs> what? Are you serious? I'm serious. Wow. I'm serious. Yeah, wow. Right. <laughs> okay, thank you for looking shocked. I am very shocked. <laughs> thank I you. thought you were going to say 23 or so. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, right. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and I am I'm pulling together many of my friends to sing they're, you know, to perform. Can I sing for you? You can. I have a beautiful voice. Do you? Oh, yes, you can. You totally can. <laughs> Come uh, on. I'm just trying Dirk's, to get on stage. So. <laughs> it's a cheap plug. <laughs> no, you don't want me singing for your birthday. Oh, you want all your oh, guests to stay. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. So the concert I can will be, we're, we're still putting it all together. I am intentioning Alicia Keys, but we'll see. We're really? working on that. It hasn't happened it. yet, but we're working on that. Oh, however, however, Dirks Bentley has agreed to do a few songs and sing happy birthday to me and um an amazing concert pianist named marina arsenevich is going to be there and uh, there's a local band carmela imas that will be performing so it's going to be just it's like i say it's global citizen meets take the lead and uh that will be a free concert although we're certainly going to ask people to chip in a few bucks here and there sure and um and and the goal is to reach a million people with with that the next day will be the conference, okay. and um, I, you know, we invite anyone to come in person, and also it will, it will be available. It will be available virtually, and uh, so hopefully we reach many, many people. And that theme of re, you know, whatever your re is, okay. You have to so re-think. one last question for you. I always ask my guests what their goals are. We officially are two days into the second half of. 2022 what is something you want to accomplish this year that you would say this year was worth it i want to accomplish raising enough money to make take the lead sustainable because i have been doing too much of the different functions because i from my past history i know how to do 
many things. Mm -hmm. That is not good for an organization. And I want to make it sustainable. And I have this vision of being able to see some fabulous young woman take over the the operations and um, let me just have fun like talking to you. I see that. I love it. I love it. Have you ever heard of OnlyFans? There are some fabulous women that could be leaders. They just need a little direction. All right. (laughs) Just teasing. You don't want any OnlyFans. That's just horrible. I mean, get a lot of people to show up, but you know. (laughs) All right, Gloria. It is awesome. I was thinking about this all night and just... You've done a lot of work, and it's very impressive. So um, hats off to you. And 80, wow, that's that's pretty good. I did not think that. I thought you were closer to somebody else's age, you know. But after a few, you know. I got to leave Laura alone. All right, everybody. Thank you, Gloria. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and I'm looking forward to these events and finding out more about you. Thank you so much for having me. All right, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for tuning in to Fit Over 40 with Coach Clarence. You can follow me on all platforms where you get your podcasts. You can also follow me on Facebook and Instagram. Just type in Fit Over 40 with Coach Clarence. You can also find me on YouTube at Coach Clarence TV. Like and subscribe so that you get all the videos as soon as we drop them. And last but not least, remember the golden rule. If you can't be good, be good at it. Hey there, are you really ready to build a better body and create the energy to show up for your life? Schedule a free strategy call. If you're interested in one-on-one coaching with Fit Over 40, our introductory strategy call is the opportunity to discuss where you currently are and where you want to go and how to overcome the roadblocks keeping you from getting there. If we agree that Fit Over 40 is right for you and you're really, really ready to make a change, then we'll discuss the next steps required to work together. Book your complimentary 45-minute strategy session with me. This call is all about you and developing a realistic, individualized action plan to help you make powerful, long-term change in your life. We'll look at where you are, where you want to go, and how to overcome the roadblocks keeping you from getting there. Go to book30withcoach.com. That's book30withcoach.com.